Hey, good morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. It's so great to see you today. As you're watching this message, um, someone named Andy Keck, he's the Director of Development for Riverside Christian School, is speaking live and in person at our church, kind of presenting his tilt on what I'm going to talk about today. And, and so we're going to post that later this week. And hopefully, if you have an opportunity, you can go back and listen to what he has to say. He's a, a wonderful guy um, and will probably give a little different perspective than I'm giving. That said, uh, today's message, we continue in our story of the book of Luke as we continue that study. This is week, I think, four, maybe five of that study. Yeah, I'm absent-minded. Ask my wife. <laughs> but we, we are really starting to dig into many of the stories that are unique, unique to Luke. And today is, is no different. So I have a question for you. Have you ever experienced anything in your life that you wish you could unsee? Right. I, uh, several years ago, many years ago, I saw a, a video on the making of hot dogs. The making of hot dogs. And I wasn't a huge hot dog fan before, but I would eat them. But after I watched the video, I just cannot bring myself to eat a hot dog anymore. <laughs> I feel like my life would be better if I hadn't. Um, but I, I, and I written, if I could go back and unsee it, I would. But the, the truth is, I can't. That, that memory is still there. And, and I've been tempted to go watch videos on making of kielbasa or um, bratwurst, which I love both of those, but I know if I do, <laughs> I'm trying to convince myself some crazy way those aren't the same thing. <laughs> we know that's not true. They're very, very similar, but I've tried to convince myself, no, 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 it can't be the same. So I can continue to eat those. But, but hot dogs, hot dogs are out. There are a number of things in life that if we wish we could unsee and unlearn, maybe we, we would. And as we get older, I think we start to get a better grasp on some things that maybe we wouldn't want to see or to know. There's actually a term for it. It's the anti-bucket list, right? It's the things that, that you would never want to do or never want to see. And, never, and a list that I looked up a little earlier, it was, you know, some people would never want to skydive, right? They see that and they go, nope, I never want to have the feeling of falling out of a plane. I know myself well enough to know I don't want to deal with that because I'd never be able to unsee it or unexperience it. Maybe there are people that would love to sail around the world, maybe even alone, but some of us be like, nope, especially me. I don't want to be stuck on a boat. All no, 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 that's an experience I do not need. Or going to jail. I have no desire to stay in jail. And I think anyone who's been in prison would probably tell you uh, if they could unsee it, they probably would too. I remember several years ago, I was talking to my mom and I was starting to tell her stories of some things that I had done as a teenager. And I got about half a sentence into the story and my mom stops me and says, hold up, I don't want to know. I said, mom, why don't you want to know? It's in the past. She said, that's why I don't want to know. She said, you've made it to adulthood. You have a family. You have a good job. You're not in jail. I'm thinking we did okay. The rest of the stories, I can go without ever knowing they happened. 
That's a whole nother level of unseeing something. That's choosing, consciously choosing to say the mere idea of seeing this is enough reason for me to actively avoid it, to stay away from it. And while there are those things in life that I think as you get older, especially you realize, mm, maybe you don't need to do that. There are times I think when we consciously choose to unsee things that maybe we should see anyways. Maybe we're unseeing truths about ourselves. I have a friend who calls that being spiritually sober, being able to clearly see who you are rather than kind of lying to yourself. But I think we also do the same thing with people that we unconsciously, consciously or unconsciously choose to unsee other people. Maybe it's those we disagree with or it's it's those we don't approve of or, or those we want nothing to do with. And we kind of avoid the experience, maybe because we're concerned we won't like it, maybe because we think it'll require something of us, humility or sacrifice. And if you're part of our previous series, remember sacrifice is giving up something of value for the sake of something of greater value, something more important or more worthy. Maybe we think that engaging people or actually seeing someone rather than avoiding them um, might cost us some of our time, our treasure, or our talent, those things that we don't like to give up. And the book of Luke, certainly that's one of our themes in the book of Luke. He, he very much is concerned with dealing with those people that most people, the typical people, usually try actively to unsee. In today's story, there are two groups of people that people of the time, the Jews of the time, the mainstream folks of the time, would have actively chosen to unsee. One of them are the Samaritans, and, and Luke mentions them also in Luke chapter 10. We probably know that story a little better, the story of the Good Samaritan. But we're going to look at a different one today. But it's Samaritans, the, the group of people that the Jews really hated. They were hated enemies of the Jews. If you discussed or were part of our series on Ezra and Nehemiah a little while back, those were the folks that, that the Babylonians brought in that settled into the Jewish homeland with their own religions and their own goals and kind of took over their space. They would eventually be those we would call the Samaritans. And so they are not really followers of God. They've got kind of a hybrid religion going on. We see that uh, worked out in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well and some other places too. But the Jews would have had a horrible relationship with them, and, and they really would not have wanted to go anywhere near them, if at all possible. The other group we see are lepers in today's story. Leprosy is, the term there is really a, a, a catch-all for a ton of different skin ailments or skin diseases. The actual bacteria that causes what we now call leprosy, or what's also known as Hansen's disease, it's really a slow-growing bacteria that affects the nerves and the skin, the eyes and the, the lining of the nose. It can result in crippling your hands, your feet, your paralysis and blindness. And we in the United States in particular don't pay much attention to it. There's usually only 150 to 250 cases, new cases every year in the United States. And yes, we still get some. Worldwide though, it's a much bigger deal. There are about, in 2019, there were 200,000 new cases of leprosy and an estimated two to three million people currently are living with this bacterial infection. We tend to think 
of leprosy is a non-issue, but for the world it remains, again, very real. In biblical times, leprosy would have been treated as something unholy. Numbers chapter 5 says this is an unholy act and you need to keep your distance from anyone, anyone who has this. And you're considered what's called unclean. You're unable to, to approach anyone else or and most especially approach God until that's dealt with. In Leviticus chapter 13, we see that people who had leprosy were actually required by law, by Levitical law, to announce to others if somebody started to even come near them to scream, I am unclean, I am unclean, I am unclean. They had to make it abundantly known. Can you imagine, right, having to, if you have a fault or something that makes you imperfect, which I got a huge list, having to scream at people, don't come near me, I'm not clean. Don't come near me from at the top of your lungs because if they get close enough, it's over as far as they were concerned. Here in the U.S., especially in the U.S. and most of the world too, we're not trying to actively unsee lepers per se, but there are certainly those in our lives that we choose, as we talked about a second ago, to unsee. So let's see how Jesus would handle those that the world would say, We don't want to see them. We don't want to notice them. We're going to go to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. I'm going to read in the CSB. Follow along with me. It says this. While traveling to Jerusalem, he, that would be Jesus, passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when they saw him, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave God, gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus said, were 10 not, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. So as Jesus enters this village, he encounters a group of unseen people, right? In this case, they happen to be lepers. And they don't greet him with the legal requirement of unclean, unclean. Instead, they greet him by crying for mercy. They see him. They've heard the stories. They know who he is and they reach out to him and they say, please, please have mercy on us. Do they know for sure that he can heal them? Probably not, but they are sure hoping so. It's as though he's their last, last opportunity. And it shouldn't be strange that they feel that way because everyone else kind of blows them off, right? And keeps their distance. These people are literally breaking the law, breaking the law of the land in order to seek help. I wonder how we would respond to somebody who was literally breaking the law in order to seek help. Jesus' response, when he saw them, it says in verse 14, when he saw them, he didn't unsee them, when he saw them, He told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were cleansed. Jesus doesn't even attempt to unsee them. He looks right at them and he offers them healing. 
He does the same thing in Luke chapter 8. It's a story also told in the book of Mark and the book of Matthew. So I don't want to go into it in, in great detail because we're kind of trying to focus on things that are exclusively Luke. But it, it absolutely ties into this. It, it's the story of a bleeding woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, who's gone to every doctor and every person she can possibly imagine to solve this problem and cannot. And this woman, in the midst of a crowd full of people, touches, his, touches Jesus's garment. Jesus turns around and says, okay, who touched me? Nobody answers. And Peter, um, Peter's like, look, the crowds are hemming us in. They're pressing against you. A thousand different people could have touched you. It's kind of this, let's just keep moving. It's probably nothing. Just keep moving. You don't need to see these people. You have other things you need to do. But Jesus says, no, he stops them all. And he says, no, <laughs> power has gone out of me. Somebody has touched me and I want to know who it is. And this woman finally comes forward and Jesus says to her, because you have confessed your need, confessed that I am the Lord, your God, daughter, he calls her daughter, you are healed. And he sends her on her way in both cases both of these stories, Jesus could have just easily said, no, you're breaking the law. I don't approve. You're breaking the law. I don't approve. But Jesus instead heals them. He gives of himself. He gives of the gifts that God has given him. One time he physically chooses with these 10 lepers to say, go and be healed. One time it's almost as though just it just naturally comes out of him as people who are earnest in their desire for mercy come to him. It's almost like it just naturally flows out of him, this desire to heal those who are calling upon him, in particular, those that everyone else has kind of cast aside. In our story today, after he's healed 10 men, one of them, only one, returns and falls at his feet. And Jesus seems legit surprised, like, one out of 10? Are you kidding me? Oh, and a Samaritan at that double whammy, right? He's not just a leper. He's a Samaritan. God's own people didn't come, didn't come and say, thank you. Instead, it's this foreigner. He calls him that. This foreigner comes back and this person who has no clear understanding of who I am. That's the implication. No clear understanding of who God is. He is able to come back and demonstrate some gratitude, right? He is a law-breaking Samaritan leper. <laughs> he checks all the boxes in that society for someone that society would not want, that would want to keep them unseen, to not pay any attention to them and just cast them off as the dregs of society. But Jesus doesn't condemn the thankless ones. And that's super important for us to understand because I think sometimes when people don't show gratitude toward us, when we do something for them, we tend, it can, it can, we can become bitter very quickly. But Jesus doesn't demonstrate that. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't unheal them, right? And say, you're off on your own. He does praise the Samaritan for coming back to him but he doesn't undo everything he did. It's, it's this lack of gratitude demonstrated by the other nine doesn't result in, in this kind of back to oblivion with you, stay sick, stay unseen, because you didn't recognize what you had been given. 
That's kind of how mercy is supposed to work. We're supposed to give because Jesus gave mercy upon us whether we deserved it or not. And he died for the world whether we are thankful or not. The truth is he did it out of his sense of love, his sense of faithfulness and commitment, and his pure desire to see all of us who would be willing to follow him healed. He wants to see all of us healed. I don't want to miss one detail here, this detail that he is, this person has come back and fallen at his feet. That's a big deal. As one theologian says, this is an important detail. The distance has been removed between the defiled, that would be the person with leprosy, and the Samaritan for that matter, and the lawbreaker for that matter. It has been the, the, the gap has been removed. The distance has been removed between the defiled and the pure. Jesus has taken that away and given him immediate intimacy with God, an immediate connection to the healing Savior of the world. Because, because of Jesus, this man's entire life, his social, his economic, his religious life, has been completely transformed. And the same is supposed to be true for those of us who have chosen to follow the Lord, put our faith in him, whether that healing is physical, spiritual, or emotional. As the healed, or the, those who are in the process of going, right? He says, as, the, as these 10, he's, it's interesting, he doesn't necessarily heal the 10 on the spot. He says, go and tell the priests. And it says, as they were healing, as they were going where he told them to go, he be, they became healed. That's what a lesson that is for us to recognize that, that it isn't a matter of just sitting and waiting sometimes. Sometimes it's about obedience. And, and in the obedience of going where he tells us to go and doing what he tells us to do, even if it's healing others or serving others or reaching out to others, it's highly possible. And in fact, the story kind of pretty clearly states that it's through that process that we can also, we can also be healed in doing what he's actively doing, what he's asking us to do. So this story in Luke's gospel makes us confront a couple of daily practices, and we're going to tie up with that. The first is this, do we habitually unsee? Are there people in our life that we habitually unsee? Maybe it's someone in our lives that we share the same space with, right? That maybe it's someone that we live with, someone at work or in the neighborhood or at school, probably somebody that nobody else wants to see either. If you think of the people who don't have a lot of friends or a lot of connection or the people that others, everyone says they're we, excuse me, they're weird. Are those people, are there those people in my daily life, in your daily life that we choose to look past? Maybe it's somebody you're trying to avoid, right? One of the classifications we gave early about those who are unseen in our lives daily are those that we're mad at or those that we don't want to confront. Are there people that you actively try to avoid coming in contact with at all, that, that, that maybe they rub you the wrong way? And, and I would ask you this, would Jesus do that, right? And if if my if our practices aren't in line with what Jesus is, would do, how he would respond. Why do we do them? Why do we unsee people that Jesus would draw out and say, no, you are mine? That he would call daughter and say, you are healed. 
that he would say, though you are not a Jew, you are a Samaritan. And by the way, most of us fit in that Samaritan category. We are, we are Gentiles. And he would say, you can be my daughter. You can be my son. Why do we not do the same sometimes? And I would encourage you to try to search your heart. Search your heart and ask yourself where your priorities lie. Because I know I struggle with it too sometimes. Where I will look past the person on the side of the road and try not to make eye contact. Is that really the right response? Probably not. Probably not. In fact, definitely not. There's a, a strength that can be found in people when they are seen when they are reminded that they are of value, that they are important. And we as representatives of Christ, we're called to remind them. We're called to be the light shining in the darkness. We're called to be the people who see when nobody else does. The second practice that we need to look at is asking ourselves, do we function in our daily lives with gratitude? And see, this, this story Today's story is far less about the healing itself and far more about gratitude. The gratitude that this man's heart is cultivating. Do we operate as the people of God with that kind of gratitude? Do we thank him often for our blessings, not just once a day or once at night at dinner at the dinner table you say grace and do we thank him consistently constantly do we do we see attempt to at least as much as our broken hearts can attempt to see others as he sees them not to earn something from Jesus because we can't but out of gratitude for what he has already done for us and what he's continuing to do for us the story today is designed to help us remember that Christ's love is boundless. Christ loves all whom God has created. And by the way, that's every human being who has ever or will ever live. He breathed life into him. Each one of them carries with them a bit of the Imago Dei, the very image of God. They were created in his image. There is none that in God's eyes are unseen. And our challenge in this world is to try to make sure no one in our world, in our sphere, is unseen as well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.